Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Coming up on this edition of On the Mark, NBA champion Richard Jefferson. He did that with the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers alongside LeBron James. We'll have Ethan Blumenthal to talk about the debacle that was the Kentucky Derby. Also a conversation about the Royal Baby, Starbucks on Game of Thrones, and Ashley back from Mexico where she found love. On the Mark starts now. Welcome in on the Mark Big Show today. First, we have to welcome back Ashley, who went to Mexico. Didn't really like you last week, and to be honest, was very jealous. You looked like you were having an amazing time. And then it seemed like you found love, and then you posted a picture I of a did. dog. You were the, probably the only person to call me out for that. I said I found love in Cabo, and it was a picture of like a black lab. Yeah, I mean... So, I mean... Is there a love greater than the dogs? That's true. Dogs are the greatest thing on the planet. You come home, dogs always happy to see you. Right. That's like that's that doesn't happen in real life. I know this, but I was <laughs> you know I I am not to pry into your your love life world. But I thought I got excited and then it was just, oh, I'm sorry to disappoint. Yeah. yeah, it was just a dog. There was well, a bunch of dogs at the bar. It's like well, a dream scenario. Well, vacation love is one of the greatest things ever, right? I it's mean, fleeting. It's fun and it's gone. Well, see, I I dated Jenna, who I met in uh, Puerto Vallarta, somewhere in Mexico. No, no, Cancun. Apologize. Uh, it was just like a spring break. It was like a spring break thing. She and but so you're both down there. She mm-hmm. was from Chicago, as it turned out, wow. and then it turned into a whole thing, right? So that was exciting. And then I go back to like as a as a 13 year old going away with the parents, and then there'd be this always was 13. Wait. Cancun, 13 years. I need some context. Cancun, I'm, I'm thinking college spring break, and now you're hitting me with 13. Well, so, right. Well, I'm going Cancun, 25-year-old Carm. Okay. okay. And, but then I'm also thinking about, like, 13-year-old mm. Carm. Nipper Sync was the, like... 
What? The, the local Midwest resort where you like your family stayed in a cabin and you'd play softball and you go swimming and, oh. and there was like a tail. What's it called? One more time. Nippersink. No longer in vogue. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's you. If you do Google Nippersink, it's there. But they don't do what they After used to work. do. And there was always, you know, there was always the cute girl. I remember uh, mm. coming home from a Nippersink trip and playing Abracadabra. Do 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 do. <laughs> Do do do, and like thinking about how I was just in, in in love with this you know girl whose name I probably didn't even get to know because I was too afraid to say hello to her. When was your first girlfriend? First girlfriend, sixth grade to eighth grade years. That was two lo- years, a two year romance. It was very serious. Me and Lori Falcon. Wow. Uh, yes, the uh, who's now of course married has lovely children. Um, but yeah, no, it was actually sixth grade to like off and on till freshman year. This is going to turn out bad for me that I'm going to bring it up. But you know, Uh-oh. most most guys they um, you know mature by the time they're a freshman in mm-hmm. high school. I was on the other end of that. And I think that Lori was ready for a more mature uh, young man at that point than I was able to provide. So um, amongst other, you know, perhaps (laughs) young love issues that were going on, too. Glad that you're laughing. at. Glad that you're laughing. By the way, this is take two for the podcast today, which was this was not on the first podcast. It was a hell of a Monday morning. Yeah, I think we're doing better now. I'm loving this. I could talk about your love life for days. That should be a separate podcast. Are you going to I mean, are you going to share some sixth grade love for the uh, See, I was on the other end of that yeah, spectrum. Right, right. I was 5'9 when I was like 10, 11 years old, towering over all the so boys. So was Lori Falcon. She was much bigger than everybody. Damn. I'm like... glad it worked out for her. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, my like proudest accomplishment was playing center on our like middle school basketball team. See, that's awesome. I, yeah, maybe for like the 60 minutes of the game. So, so you had boys crush, but no, no boys liked you at that age? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I don't think so. I think they were scared of me. Well, so, yes, they were. Yeah. They most definitely Nothing were. Nothing has changed. I, 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 prom- <laughs> I promise you they were terrified. But that's, uh, you know, you have to understand. Mm. It's hard to do back then, but you have to understand yeah. the male. Like, they're going to they're gonna show up like they're all tough and, mm-hmm. you know, but but deep down there, we're, we're all terrified of you. It's or at least beautiful. I am. All right. Uh, let, let's talk about some of the things in the news today. First of all, uh, the royal baby is here. We're supposed to be hot and bothered about this, Ashley. Uh, does the baby, uh, the baby had a name but doesn't have a name? We saw it was like an earl, but it's not an earl. This baby has taught me how little I know about the royal family and the hierarchy of it all. Didn't even know Meghan Markle was pregnant. I'm embarrassed to admit that. I probably am on the same. Didn't know she was right? pregnant either. And then we thought the baby was named Earl, but I guess that's someone's title. So I was ragging on the name Earl for a while, and it's not even the baby's name. So See, I'm, I'm very... Very, um, yeah, nonplussed about this situation, mm-hmm. but we are bringing it up on the podcast, so it's there is a reason, and the reason is this: I was paying attention to the news this morning, mm. and it came out that Markle was in labor, and so now, okay, now I'm in. Mm-hmm. We got Markle in labor. We're having a kid. I should be interested in this. This is I'm in radio. I'm in podcast. I'm in media. I'm a video host. Let's be in the story. Yeah. And the next thing you know, five seconds later, the kid's born. It was very anticlimactic, for sure. So I I need some buildup. I need, like, what's it going to be? Is it a boy or a girl? Is she going to be okay? Like, I needed some drama. I feel like that's kind of their vibe, though. They're, like, doing their own thing. They moved out of the palace, right? Like, they live on their own. They're just, like, living their young... Look at you knowing where they live. I mean, I think someone said that like earlier this morning. No, I think I don't really know. it seems like you're on top oh. of it. It's... I just know he, there's one without hair and one with hair, right? The two princes. Oh. Right? Dukes. I don't even know what they are, but 
William's the older one. Right. The unfortunate yeah. hairline. Okay. Go, that's and Harry a, looks like Carson Wentz. Harry's unbelievably attractive. Great looking man. You think so? Well, I, yeah, absolutely. All day. We've been talking about <laughs> our... Uh, we got different tastes. I'll you don't, you don't like Harry's look? You know, it's not for He's you? He's cute. He's cute. Uh, are, you, are you just saying that? No. I just... I don't think I'd look twice if he walked down the street. Who would you look twice at? That's a great question. We went down this rabbit hole the other day. You like, <laughs> yeah, you, you like, like a dude that's like, like kind of unassuming, mm-hmm. right? He's like this nice, yeah. unassuming. Put like, see, then, mm-hmm. then you put your trust in the unassuming guy. Those guys are they're they're like fake unassuming. I saw a tweet this morning, and it was like, shout out to all the girls with ugly boyfriends because I know they're really funny. And that one hit home. That hit home. Personality all the way. So. Okay, this is a deeper dive. And then we Too can deep go. of a dive. We're supposed to talk about royal baby names. Your friend Alex, who's sitting here producing the podcast, <laughs> uh, seemingly, seemingly, is like nodding her head, yes, yes, don't care about the looks, just want to make me laugh, don't yeah. care what you I don't believe either of you, for the record. Really? You definitely care what they look like. At least I mean, to, to some level. I, don't, I also just feel like with so much that goes on right now, there's so many issues in our society that if I'm not aligned and like the personality is so much more important to me and like someone's morals of course So if I find out they're like this white supremacist with a crazy Twitter background (laughs) could be the hottest guy in the world but it's not gonna fly sure of course but like I think you they have to pass the standard looks they have to be tall okay that's that's Uh, it they gotta be tall what's what's your what's your what's your level of so I'm five nine yeah and I have to be able to wear comfortably four inches worth of heel. You need a six foot three inch dude? Preferably. We're talking preferably. <laughs> six here. foot three is, I mean, now you That's just. That's tall, yeah. You X'd out a good portion of the populace know, I'm right well aware. there. I'm well aware. Have you ever dated anybody not six three? Mm hmm. Yeah. But didn't work out, obviously. No, 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 no. But it wasn't because of the height, or was it because of the height? Um, no, height wasn't height. an issue. wasn't an issue. Okay. It's a big ask. I'm oh. well aware, but okay. we, we shout can, out we anyone can, who's 6'3". We can move away from that. Let's go to, <laughs> let's go to Starbucks and Game of Thrones yes. real fast here. How does... Uh, this is something that we should be bothered by, but... Uh, I love it. I mean, first of all... Why? Who's to say that there wasn't a Starbucks back in the Game of Thrones times? Why can't? Why couldn't there have been a Starbucks back then? They didn't drink coffee back in Game of Thrones times. Did they, producer well, Alex? Can we? Uh, I mean, was coffee around then? I'm assuming the coffee was around. Maybe, maybe Starbucks folded. Anybody think of that? Huh? <laughs> no. Maybe, maybe it was. Stay rein- woke. You know? I just, I think it humanized the entire Game of Thrones mystique. I don't watch it. Neither I'm a do little I. overwhelmed by the following. Like, kudos to them. People that love it, love it. Just not my thing. So to see something Game of Thrones on my timeline that I understood, I loved it. And you had two years. Two you, years to put this together. And you leave a Starbucks cup out? So did they do it on purpose because they wanted to have more conversation and get the whole Starbucks convo in there? Maybe there's a sponsorship with you Starbucks. Know, Anybody think of that? Uh, oh. Truly a great sponsorship opportunity. Hey, Free advertising. Hey, we'll leave your cup on the set and... People will think that we we fucked up, but in reality, um, it's just going to get you a, attention. That's I mean, I think that's yeah. legit. You, th- I mean, what's the chance they legitimately le- left the thing there, <laughs> edited it up, and didn't notice it? Somebody's going to notice something. You're- I don't know. You're probably like so. They're probably so over it too. Two years putting this together. Yeah, I, I, so much attention to detail out there. there are so many type I'm A people. I'm shocked that it got through the cracks. Starbucks did tweet about it, though. Like, think about what the level of detail we do here at Fansided on a, on a video. Yeah. And we're not quite Game of Thrones level, but with I'm all sure, due respect. Like, all the video editors can attest, when you edit something 
over and over and over. You're so used to seeing it that you do miss out little things like that. You just overlook it. Alex Savis, one of the greatest video editors of all time, who works at Fansided, it would time. never would never make that mistake. It just would not happen. It was, and, no. And neither would Michael Zach, and neither would Richard Durante. True. Shout out our great if, team. If Carm was a video editor, that happened every day. But that's <laughs> you know that's why I'm not. All right. Uh, Congrats to Starbucks for making it onto Game of Thrones, I guess. I want to talk about a guy that people might not have heard of. Mm-hmm. His name is Casey Bednarski. You know that name? I do now. Yes, I've, I've, we've talked this up. Okay, so <laughs> let me just get everybody up to speed. Yeah. Casey Bednarski is a kicker. Casey Bednarski was one of eight kickers that were granted a tryout at the Chicago Bears minicamp over the weekend. Matt Nagy, who is Mr head coach that can relate to the young people. He's 43 years old. He's got that energy. He's going to create an environment where we're going to put the pressure on him. You're going to kick for the offense. You're going to kick for the defense. We're going to we're going to kick from 43 yards, which is the exact yardage that Cody Parkey missed from last year. Never forget. So we're putting it all on the table. Mm-hmm. And Bednarski was kicking for the defense. Now, this is a guy who went to the College of DuPage, which is a junior college that you only go to if you have no grades and have no life. I mean, that's basically COD in Chicago, which I, 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 I was a kid at that age that should have been at COD, mm-hmm. and people can rise up from wherever. But this is not a premier football destination, right. is my point. And then he went to Division II Mankato State. So he's risen himself up from COD and, and Mankato State in Minnesota to trying out for the Bears. And one of the things he did to get himself noticed was he he's on YouTube and he's kicking and he hits a 70-yard field goal and he does a backflip on the YouTube. Like, this dude's freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. So here he is kicking for the Bears in the kicking competition. They kick a 48-yard field goal. He's kicking for the defense. The dude bangs it through, hits the kick, does his backflip, and Matt Nagy sees this backflip and, for whatever reason, is upset about it, and the kid doesn't make the cut. Now, they're, now they're, they're keeping two kickers. They kept Elliot Fry, who kicked to the American Alliance of Football. They kept, they're keeping Chris Blewett, who was working at Target. No, hashtag no problem with Target. <laughs> Love that I park there every day. That's not a hashtag. All right, so I think the story here is that the Bears are in no position to send away anyone who's capable of completing that type of field goal. My grievance with this is Matt Nagy's whole thing is he writes BU on his play card. Right. BU. And apparently this guy's shtick is a backflip. Could you get hurt? Is it foolish and a little cocky? Yeah. But let's have a little fun. And if that's his shtick, let him do it. Maybe bring him aside and say, hey, he- we don't do that here. Like, let's settle down. But like, have fun with it. Right, Bednarski was being mm-hmm. Bednarski, hashtag yep. B-U. B-U. Yeah, and Bednarski knows his body better than Matt Nagy knows Bednarski's body. And if mm-hmm. Bednarski thinks that he can survive a backflip, which he's proven time and time again, yeah. I mean, come on. Also, you- blew it. You're setting yourself up for right, the headlines. Right. You're setting yourself up. They're writing their own narrative right but th- now. That, that, right, exactly. How could you possibly pick blew it over Bednarski? I'm so superstitious and... What's the movie where they, you blew it. Um, it's, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not Tommy Boy. It's not, it's not something. It, Billy Madison. <laughs> Billy Madison. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> blew it. I mean, come on, man. That dude's hanging around in Bednarski, who's, who's drilling 48-yard field goals, is gone. Um, 
sad yeah. times for for yeah. bears. Yeah. Did the dog have a name before before we get to Richard Jefferson? No, no, I didn't know. He had a collar but no tag. Where'd you see the animal? At the bar. There's a okay. There so are you, two dogs, two bar dogs. You went to a bar. There mm-hmm. were two dogs there. You fell in love with one of the dogs. One approached me. I took it as a sign. Okay. I like, saw you from across the room, kind of thing. Did you pet the animal? I did. He smelled so bad. He was. <laughs> <laughs> he needed a little love. He, uh, uh, he was a fixer-upper. Did you go full hug animal or we just get a little light pet? Uh, just a little pet. Okay. A little scrub down. Okay. Little Here's your little buddy. Yeah. Do you have a dog at home? I don't, no. Aw. I want one. If you did have a dog at home, what would you name it? Noodles. There's no hesitation there. None. Noodles. <laughs> did you have a noodles in your family before? No. Would it be noodles too? No? Noodles. Noodles. I think it's a fun name. Right. Hey, noodles. I'm going with MJ, by the way, just so you know. In case I ever get an, an animal. An hour ago, you said no MJ for the dog name. Well, that was the uh, the podcast that got deleted due to technical difficulties. <laughs> I said that I... That's not true. I didn't say you that I... You throw me under the bus like that. I, I didn't say... It wasn't your fault. It was the computer's fault. Mm-hmm. I... I didn't say that time? I wouldn't name it MJ. I just said that people have told me mm. that I shouldn't name it MJ because it it remind it, it rhymes too closely with stay MJ stay goat. You should name it goat. I think it's funny. I, I mean, I, I'm just going to create a new word for stay for the dog so we can still do it. I'll hold out the hand. Maybe how about just stop, <laughs> stop rather than stay, and then I can name my dog stay. MJ. I mean, I think that's legit. Uh, good to see you, Ashley. Glad you made As it always. back. Thanks for having me back, Carm. I had uh, we had a bets in the office of whether or not you would return. I lost, so congr- I thought about it. Yeah. So you weren't wrong. Yeah, if I ever go to Mexico again, let alone Cabo, it'd be a very tough, tough putt to get me back here. But so, a but tough good, puff. Good, 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 <laughs> good job, good job focusing on your life and your career. Thank you. you might Thank not you. feel the same when you get to the tender age of forty-five. All right. Speaking of that, a guy who played in the NBA for a long time. 16-year career and NBA champion, Richard Jefferson joins us on the podcast, and he joins us right now. (music) 17 seasons in the NBA. He won an NBA title with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think that means something to him. I also think being fourth all-time in scoring in the history of the now Brooklyn Nets is impressive, and now a movie director, producer as well. Richard Jefferson, thanks for taking time as you segue into your new career. The film is Sprinter. This is a big-time move by you. You know what? It is. I'm so, so fortunate to have this opportunity. But it's not. Let me say this. This was less about me trying to get into the entertainment industry and the movie industry and more about me investing in a friend uh, me investing in a project uh, in someone that I'd known for you know close to 20 years, uh, and so uh, when the opportunity presented itself, and I saw the type of story that they that he was looking to tell Rob Mailer, who co-wrote this film with with Storm Salter, the director, uh, when that opportunity presented itself, and knowing him and seeing the script, then you know, hey, you know, I, I'm on board. This was more of an investment in a person uh, and a project than it was me trying to enter into the entertainment film industry. I got it. So more about the heart than the green. Yes, a hundred percent. That that's always kind of been, you know, my, just the way I go about things, but no, it's an amazing story. We have the premiere tonight in LA and, you know, one of the things, you know, again, you know, you do something with your heart and you do something, you know, because it's a passion project. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have, you know, Will and Jada uh, Smith are co-producers on this project. 
So, you know, then all of a sudden good things and good people start to come together. And, you know, the fact that I can, you know, actually say that I've been a part of a project with them, Will Smith, one of my idols, uh, and has been since I was, you know, probably about 10 years old. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is, this is a really, really cool opportunity and it's great, man. This has been a project that's been two years, uh, three years, uh, in the making. So it's really cool to see how this whole thing has been, you know, put together and how it's come to fruition. So you were a French, fresh Prince of Bel-Air guy. Am I hearing that right? Oh yeah. So my, you know, my, my mom and stepdad are both from Philadelphia, South Philly. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, just the whole, the whole Philadelphia thing, the Will Smith thing, you know, I was like, I was a fan of the music. Summertime is one of my all time favorite songs, but like, I am a Will Will Smith stan, right? So <laughs> the man can do no wrong. And, you know, I, I haven't had the opportunity to meet him yet. Uh, but, oh, trust me, I, I am, I'm looking forward for, for that day. Fair enough. Let's talk a little hoop here. I want to start with the fight with Kenyon Martin, and that was right around the time where I started covering the NBA. I was afraid to ask Kenyon Martin, Anthony Mason, Alonzo Mourning, another one of your former teammates, those guys' questions after games, Richard Jefferson. But you actually went locker room fight with Kenyon when you were a young player. That, that had to take a lot of balls. Well, you know... A lot of people, I am, I am one of the most lighthearted, goofy, like just have fun individuals. I think one of the things where I was fortunate, you know, to be in the NBA for as long as I have is my pure competitiveness. And, you know, Kenyon is the same way. And this happened my rookie year. And uh, it was just pure competitiveness. It was not like a beef with him. It was a misunderstanding that led to something happening. And he's my big brother. Um, I always view him that way. And what's cool about it is that once we both recognize the lengths that the other person was willing to go, we had a newfound respect. You know, it, it's no it's no different than, you know, two friends that can like go to blows, but then drink beers afterwards. Right. Like that's really what it was. It was like a, it was like a fight with a brother. Uh, and luckily, you know, it was in the days before social media and all the leaks and all this other stuff. So it was pretty much kept under wraps until me and him started talking about it years afterwards, you know, after we were retired. And that was a, a great Nets team that still gets a lot of love from old schoolers today. What, what do you remember about the first finals? You're, you're, you got Kobe right in front of you. Shaq's putting up huge numbers. Uh, of course, the next year you played San Antonio, you got Pop, you got Duncan. I mean, that's a hell of a way to enter the league. Oh, it's a hell of a way to enter the league. And, you know, to lose to, you know, the one team had, I think, uh, you know, San Antonio had five Hall of Famers, you know, on the court. You had David, Tim, Pop, uh, Manu, and Tony. Then you, you, you look at the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe, two of the probably ten greatest players of all time. And you just realize, like, you – very quickly realized like yo to win a championship you have to beat the greatest players of all time and that was a, that was a very very quick realization and you know I think my second year against San Antonio we had a chance the Laker one was just we had no idea what we were getting into there they were a train that wasn't going to stop moving it didn't matter who was in their way but no it was great man I, I got to learn so much and you know I, I think you know Later in my career, some of my playoff success, and I wouldn't say success, but contributions, were really based off of, like, that San Antonio series. 
you know, I saw that guys like Steve Kerr and Speedy Claxton, the, the seven, eight, nine, ten guys, I saw those guys have a huge impact in the series. So, like, my mentality when I was fortunate enough to go back to the finals later in my career was like, hey, it doesn't matter if you're the eighth man or the ninth man or the tenth man. You need to be locked in like you're a starter because there will be an opportunity for you to, to contribute. And all of that mentality came from, you know, examples early on in my career. Well, you were on the court when the biggest shot in the history of Cleveland was hit and a ridiculous shot at that by Kyrie and with a hand in his face. So I think you get at least credit for some spacing, Richard Jefferson. Is that fair? Yeah, getting the hell out of the way. That was, <laughs> that was the best thing that I could have done in that moment. Um, no, I, I feel like, uh, I, I, I feel like uh, being there in that moment and being a part uh, of that was, was very, very special. Uh, you know, the Warrior fans and NBA fans feel like I'm milking this moment. But it's like, dude, all I got to do, everyone asked me questions about it. What am I supposed to do, not talk about it? Uh, so you get to join that list of people. And don't worry, when this drops, the Warrior fans are like, God, this guy won't shut up about it. It's like, wait, I just get asked questions, and then I tell them what happened. Well, let me ask you another question. Do you think you win that series if Draymond Green doesn't get suspended? Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, look, I got a ton of respect. Like, I had Draymond as a rookie, Harrison Barnes as a rookie, Clay Thompson um, as a rookie. So all of these guys are, like, the, my amount of respect for them can never be understated. And I understand with Draymond um, and his importance to that team, I definitely think the path is, is very, very difficult. Um, but, you know, I also don't want to discredit that they still had two games, including a home game, with him. And Draymond had, what, what do you have, 20 points in the first half of game seven? He was so unbelievable. It, it was like, yeah, yeah, he was on fire. So the opportunities were still there. Do I think that the longer the series went, given that they had a much more difficult route being down 3-1 in the Oklahoma series to have, you know, the injuries to Steph early in that playoff series. So the longer the series went in, because we were fortunate and we kind of cruised through the Eastern Conference, like the fact that we were able to like be able to be rested and fresher, that definitely played an impact in us being fortunate enough to win. Were you guys trying to get under Draymond's skin knowing that something like that could happen? Oh, God, no. No. Yeah. Like, Draymond, Draymond is Draymond's like, best friend and worst enemy in the sense that like, only Draymond can really get himself out of his, out of his own game. Like, I, like, again, like I said, my respect for Draymond and how important he is to them and what he's accomplished, I think he is one of the – if you look at in the history of basketball, maybe in the history of American sports, not many people have probably overachieved as well as he has. Like, this man is probably a few years away for people talking about him being a Hall of Famer. And not based off stats, but just defensive player of the year, multiple all-defensive teams multiple all-stars a part of the greatest franchise right run maybe in the last you know 30 years if you look at what this team has accomplished and how they've changed the game and how much he facilitates but we don't we don't purposely try and get in under anybody's head if anything like in one of the things that people talk about is like it was an accumulation from things that happened in the first round to things that happened in the Oklahoma series none of that stuff had anything to do with us right and yeah. so um it, it was a very unique you know, situation that happened and, you know, 
it, it just it went our way. But I still, you know, I still believe that, you know, all of these things come into play and, and how you handle things will dictate your success, um, you know, in a long situation. Well, let me rewind back because you, you, you saw Draymond right when he came in the league. You're, you're playing with Steph back then, too. Who surprises you more? Like, I mean, back then, Steph was kind of an injury-prone guard who you thought was never going to get past ankle injuries, and then he becomes an MVP. And Draymond's a second-round pick. So if you were to compare the two as who surprised you more as to where they got in their career, who would you say? Um, that's tough. I, I would say Draymond because, well, I don't know. I, I won't say surprise me. Um, I think no one knew what Steph could possibly do that he would actually change the course of the NBA. Like, let's put that in perspective, right? Like Steph Curry and the way he shoots threes and the way he goes about the game and the way he's played and their team plays, that's actually shifted the NBA style of play. Right. And so, you know, I just think that, you know, Steph is probably the most surprising. I think Draymond being around him his rookie year and seeing his competitiveness, seeing how much he used to run his mouth, even as a rookie, Right. And, and like, those are the things like there's kind of a, you know, a Kevin Garnett ish style to him where he would talk and that would hype him up and get him ready to play. Um, but I think Steph is probably the most surprising because like you said, the talent was there, but if anyone ever says that, Oh, I knew Steph could do this. They're out of their damn mind, right? They're out of their damn mind. I think Steph has changed the game and he is one of the most impressive, you know, people more importantly than just a basketball player. So I think all of his success is warranted, and, you know, I, I couldn't be happier for him. I mean, I remember when he signed the four-year, $44 million deal, I want to say $11 million a year, and I thought, are you guys nuts? He's never going to stay healthy. And <laughs> that, that was a phenomenal well, deal. And that, and that was, no, and that was the thing. Like, people have talked about all of the good fortune that the Warriors have had. Like, Steph signs this deal, and because he signs a, a deal much less, because that year he broke the NBA record for three-pointers, right? And so, you know, and I remember he kind of tweaked his ankle in preseason, which gave him a little bit more, you know, like, just let me sign this deal, right? Like put in, and, and look, the same thing that the veterans told me when I was a young guy, like, yo, you put some money in your pocket. You put some money in your pocket, and then on your second deal, if you want to be – but that first deal – you know, put it in. And ultimately, not only did he make the right decision, and he's going to make more money, right? Like with that decision, but it allowed for them to bring in more players, which was led to, you know, basketball situation for him. So taking less money probably made him a hundred million more dollars on the back end. Yeah, that's that's. That's a great way of looking at it, and I, I was looking at that like, no, you can get this much more. I'm like, you know that you're you're set for life, and then your kids are set for life, and your kids' kids are set for life. At I mean, eleven million dollars a year, no one ever makes that amount of money, or at least ninety nine point nine 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 nine. So uh, yeah, uh, all right. Let let I want to. I just I saw you on the jump the other day, and you talked about how you would sort of whisper things to guys when you were on the court to get under their skin. But you're saying you guys weren't doing that with Draymond. <laughs> so I want to know where, where does that meet in the middle as to how you would sort of strategize to get guys off their game? Well, because the, Draymond's a different monster. Like, you're not going to whisper things to Draymond and get <laughs> underneath his skin. That's not that, – that, that's, that's actually going to be counterproductive for you, right? 
because Draymond will tell you to shut up in about nine different ways, right? <laughs> and so that's not he's that's not how you go about Draymond. Draymond Draymond's a little different. But I think it's one of those things where like you just you just say things to guys and it doesn't have to be loud and boisterous. Some people want to scream and yell and there's some guys like you get Patrick Beverly that are agitators, Marcus Smart that are agitators, guys that know how to do that. Where, you know, the the you know, the the smart will take from the strong, right? And so if you just kind of whisper things into guys and it, a lot of, it doesn't have to be like, yo, man, this is some BS how they're playing you, but it's like, man, you guys are rolling in the regular season. Are you guys were rolling, you know, here and there. And like, you just kind of say things like, man, you were cooking. Why'd they stop going to you in the second half? Right. Like we thought, man, the whole halftime speech was about you. Right. And so you put these little things in the guy's heads and, you know, it's more of like a context and a moment. It's like, man, I can't believe they're doing this to you. And you're a free agent. You better not come back here, man. Jeez. Right. So you just do these things. That's, that's, that's the warfare. I was once told a story about Michael Jordan. Well, Michael Jordan would have a full on conversation with you. Like, yo man, how's your family? How's everything going? Fuck it. Just like, yeah, yeah. What's going on, man? What do you got going on during the summer? What you got going on this summer? And like, all of a sudden you've been like, yo, he's my friend. We've been having a conversation and you look up and he's got 42 in the third. Right. And it's like, no, that's why like guys like Giannis, they say they always want to keep their edge and they don't want to talk to anybody and blah, 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 blah. That's to avoid moments like that. Right. Which, you know, a lot of great players, you know, have used, you know, there was always those jokes about Michael Jordan going out with Charles Barkley because he knew he was in better shape than Charles. So if they're both out till four in the morning, who's going to perform better, him or Charles? (laughs) Right. But Charles would be looking at MJ. Charles would be looking at MJ like, well, he's here. Right. And there was always those stories like, oh, yeah, but MJ's been drinking water. You've been ordering vodka. Right. It's like, you know, those, those are those little NBA stories that you hear, whether they're fact or fiction. I don't know, but they've been told in locker rooms as a part of like urban legends for, you know, as long as I was in the league. What would you whisper to KD? Because everyone's wondering if he's going to leave. And it seems to me like he hasn't gotten the love that he thought he would get winning in Golden State. So if he leaves, I mean, that opens up the league for everyone to think they can win a title, in my mind. Yeah, well, I think, you know, KD, KD uh, and I had, a, had a, a small interaction via social media. And, you know, social media is never the place to have an interaction. Uh, so I don't know what I would whisper to KD. I, I think he's, you know, in our generation and in the last, like, probably, like, you know, 20 years, you know, you can make an argument. I, I think he's probably on the Mount Rushmore of players, um, you know, and, and great players in this league. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't know what you whisper. I, I think KD is one of those people that, you know, he's going to do whatever he wants and whatever he feels best. And I think, you know, very similar to, Le, you know, LeBron deciding to go to Miami or going back to Cleveland. No one saw these things coming. No one saw Cleveland. No one saw no one saw Miami happening until it was like right in front of their face. And I think Kevin Durant's going to do the exact same thing. You know, if he wants to stay, that's because that's what's best for him. And that's what he wants to do. If he goes to another team and that's because that's where he wants to go and that's what he wants to do. So I don't know. I don't know if whispering something about free agency to him would necessarily help you in a game. If you had to bet though, do you think he stays or goes? I don't know. I think, look, I would say this. I I look at what, and again, this is just a pair. And I look at how LeBron James was viewed after winning in Cleveland versus winning in Miami. 
right? I think looking at that and seeing that, okay, right, you didn't need the two other Hall of Famers, although Kevin Love and Kyrie were great, they were still unestablished playoff players, right? Like, you know, now Kyrie is, you know, one of the most clutch playoff performers, you know, you know, in, in our league, hit one of the biggest shots in NBA history. But that was not at that time, right? So I, I think for him, if he is, you know, wondering about public perception or if he wants to be viewed as the best player in our league, I think it's harder for him to do that in Golden State than it would be for him to do that someplace else. And that's purely off the assessment that I saw LeBron James when he was able to win a championship for Cleveland that wasn't under the, the Miami two Hall of Famers, D-Wade, Chris Bosh, and all these guys. Once he was doing that in a different space, I saw like kind of his profile. And he was no longer the villain once he was able to win in Cleveland. He became the hero. And I think, you know, Kevin Durant, but also Kevin Durant could say, screw it. I'm going to win five championships with the Warriors. No one's going to be able to stop me and everyone else can suck it. So, you know, <laughs> he's got multiple opportunities for how, you know, he can approach this. Yeah, I, I like him the way you just laid it out and just thinking about it further. I, I, I like him moving along, but we'll see. Do you think Boston's figured it out? Uh, I hope so. I, I hope so. I think that's great for the league. I think it's great for Kyrie. I know it was you know, just knowing Kyrie as a person, how difficult it was to watch him, you know, not be able to play in the postseason, to have an opportunity for them to knock Cleveland out, a team that he was, you know, probably frustrated with, um, that traded him, to knock them out of the postseason, right, up 3-2 and have it not get done. And this is where Kyrie prides himself is on his playoff performance. And so, you know, to see that kind of go down the way it did, I could imagine that it was difficult for him. But the way he's playing now, his level of focus, his team's focus, no one ever questioned, um, you know, whether or not those guys could play. But I think Brad Stevenson was, uh, Stevens was in a very, very difficult spot because he needed to develop Kyrie and get Kyrie back to dominance, right? And he was all year, but after the knee injury. He needed to develop Gordon Hayward and play him probably more minutes just to get his legs and body back to being, you know, an all-NBA type player. But then you also have to develop your two young studs and Jalen Brown and, 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 and Tatum. So it was a very, very difficult job by him. But all of that will go to the wayside once they, you know, if they can continue progressing in the, in the postseason the way they have. Now, I don't know if Indiana is the best example, right? I don't know if they're the best opponent because they're obviously missing their all-star. They play extremely hard. But I think the best chance is when you start to see them against the possibility of like a Philly or moving forward. That's when you will see whether or not they have grown when they're in that fire. Yeah, who do you like in the East? I like Milwaukee. I really do. And, and it, it's, uh, it's very easy because, uh, because they have been the most consistent team all year long, and they have a ton of weapons. Right, like they basically have three all stars, right? You know, Eric, uh, uh, you got Bledsoe, you got you know Giannis, who I think is the MVP, and you got Middleton. So they have those three all stars, which everyone, if you look back in history, most of the time that is needed. And then they have a bunch of other players around. You look at what Brooke Lopez has done, Malcolm Brogdon. You got George Hill. They've got like actual like high level NBA guys, right? That are all there, ready to contribute. And so I think they're probably the deepest, most balanced team 
um, you know, in, in the Eastern Conference. So I think that they are going to be the team that comes out. But again, if Toronto or Boston or even Philly, with all of those studs across the board, like look at Philly's roster. No doubt. Like nothing would surprise, nothing would surprise me. I just think, you know, Milwaukee is the, the only team that I've seen be super consistent, and I'm a fan of consistency. Let's wrap up with Russell Westbrook. Does he need to change his game? Can he change his game? Um, I think anyone can change. Let me first say that. I, I think, you know, being around Jason Kidd, and I remember he used to tell me he became a better player once he slowed down, right? Like when he was younger, he used to miss, miss triple doubles by points. Now, how on earth do you do that? If you're, if you're, if you're Jason Kidd, but he said once he slowed down and stopped moving so fast, right? Then you know his, you know, it allowed him to be a little bit more under control. Now I'm not saying that you know Russ is under is out of control. I just think that as Russ gets older, I think, and I know he's older now. He's he's not he's not a rookie, but I still think that he will continue to progress. His basketball IQ will continue to increase. Um, I think he's done a good job of trying to get guys involved. They just don't have any shooters. Right. And for him as a scorer and a point guard, it puts him in a duck in a very, very tough spot. But like you look across the board, it's him and Paul George. Right. So for them to shoot the amount of threes that they do and you have guys that aren't necessarily three point shooters or high level three point shooters. You look at the, the, the team around Giannis. You got Brooke Lopez shooter. You got Chris Middleton shooter. You got, you know, guys that can knock down 35 percent plus. Right. Malcolm Brogdon, like a George Hill. Like you have guys that can do this with their team. That allows for Giannis to play his best brand of basketball. If you had Giannis on a team with no shooters, Giannis would not be the MVP. No doubt. It just, he would not be the MVP. So a lot of it is personnel. Like I think Russ is a guy that you just need to have more shooters around. So it's not all his fault, right? That if he's like, yo, I might as well just go out there and score. Right, because if he only, you know, if he doesn't shoot twenty shots, who else is going to? Right, that that's 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 kind of the issue, and that's not a knock on his teammates. It's just more of kind of the nature of basketball that we want to criticize him, when you can really look at how their roster might be constructed and the style of play that they're trying to play. It doesn't really fit. Now, I don't think this series is over. Right, I think you know to go in Portland is difficult. I think Portland has a. a, a you know, a lot to do, but if, you know, if history has shown us, all they need to do is get one monkey off their back, then go back to OKC, protect your home, and then, go, and then anything can happen in a game seven. So I think Russell is so talented, and I think to put anything past him, this man had a 20-20-20 game, right? I'm not, I'm not jumping off that Russell ship quite yet, right? He, you know, it just, you know, I think the construction of his roster with Paul George is great but I think they need more shooters and shooters don't grow on trees, but as a GM and as a president, I think that's something that will actually dictate the level of Russ's success. The more shooters and stuff you have basically very similar to Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd was an amazing fast break pass guy, lob guy, but he needed athletes around him to show that he could do that. And he always did. He always had those type of guys around him because it made his game that much better. The 2020 was just ridiculous to, to give the to tribute yeah. to Nipsey. That was preposterous. Uh, the, the film is... That, that, that's unheard of. I mean, just, okay, I'm going to go out and give tribute to this guy. I'll just go 2020, no problem. Uh, the film is Sprinter. Richard Jefferson, before you go, i got to ask you one LeBron James question. That would, it would be wrong if I didn't. Number one, like, right move to L.A., and number two, just playing with him, 
what's the best part and what's the what's the biggest challenge? Uh, I think the move to LA was the right move. Um, I think you know this is about what he wants to do and and how he wants to live his life. I think once he won that championship in Cleveland and think about like you know how many people in the history of any sport anywhere has said like growing up in a town and saying, I need to go win for my town and then to go win for their town. Like what, like what are the, what are the chances that an individual could go do that for a city, for a franchise? Like that's just unheard of. But I think once he got that monkey off his back, it was, it was okay for him to go do whatever he wanted to go do. If he wanted to retire, go retire. If he wanted to go play in Philly, or if he wanted to just go do whatever it is you did. Like you had a prom made a promise to a community of people uh, from an athletic standpoint, and you fulfilled it at that point in time, we can no longer selfishly ask of this individual. We can no longer say, well, you're ours. You need to do this for us. At some point in time, an individual can go do something for themselves. And that's why I am, you know, KD, you know, Braun, anybody can go do whatever it is for them. Now, you have to take the criticism or you have to take the, uh, the critiques that come with that, but it doesn't change the fact that I fully support anybody doing anything that they want. As far as what's the best part about playing with them, shoot, you got a chance to win a championship, right? <laughs> now, I know, everyone in L I know everyone in L.A. is going to be like, oh, wow. And it's like, dude, the guy had never been hurt. You had a ton of injuries. There is no team in the NBA. If, if James Harden would have missed that amount of time for Houston and then everybody else on their team missed a ton of injuries, they might, you know, everybody would have struggled. And then there was obviously other things. But I think the best part about playing with him for me, you know, is just being around a person that works that hard, that cares that much about basketball. Basketball is number one and number two and number three right when it comes to most important things to him professionally like his family i would i would separate that but even then i know his family has probably had to make sacrifices for him to attain and achieve the goals that he has professionally so you know that that is something that is a compliment to his wife and his kids and you know everybody is on that journey so to see somebody that has basketball and have so many other opportunities, but makes basketball the most important thing to them. I think that that to me was very eye-opening, and you know, gained a tremendous amount of respect for me. Plus, he gets knocked on that too. You wanted to go to LA to make movies. I think you wanted to go to LA because if he wins in LA, it it further elevates him in in the discussion with Michael. That's how I saw it. Oh, and I and I I agree, and I you know for him. Like how many people have won, you know, finals MVP for three different, you know, three different franchises and also understanding as he gets older, the attraction of playing with him in a smaller market like Cleveland won't be the same, right? If you're in LA and, and look, LeBron's made so much money. So if he wants to take one of those Steph Curry deals, right. And, and, you know, take, you know, less money to bring in more guys, guys will want to come play in LA. Right. Guys will want to go do that thing. Now, I think the the franchise needs to stabilize themselves from the top right on down. I think that that was the biggest issue. I don't know if it was LeBron James's play. I think there was, you know, the mistakes made by the front office during during, you know, the trade talks. I think there was, you know, Magic Johnson. And, you know, if anybody wants any indication of how the Lakers have been run the last few years, let's look at how Magic Johnson left. That's a very indicate. That's a very good indication of how the Lakers have been run. 
so I, I think they just need something that's more stable in 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 the organization. I think that's the most important thing, not necessarily LeBron James's play or are they going to get a second free agent or, or who's going to come play with them. I think until that franchise establishes that they are a stable basketball environment, even though they're the Lakers, I think they're going to continue to struggle. But does he separate himself from the team? It's like he's going to get the credit if you win and everybody else is going to get the blame if you lose. Did you feel that at all? No, I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily think that. I, I think he. Ha, I think people have been, you know, somewhat jaded, right? When you look at the management of eight straight finals and this and that. But when you see a man cry, like and weep when you win a championship, but then the very same year you see an individual cry and weep when they lose, you know how important it is to him. You know how much he puts into it. So it's not about. Who gets the credit? Who doesn't get the credit? That's really that 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 right there is media driven, which yeah. I'm a part of that. But <laughs> it, inside the like inside on, on the team, when you're on on the team, he's not like oh this guy needs good. No, like but understand that if you come play with Kobe Bryant, if you play with Michael Jordan, if you play with these guys that are that intense, no one has ever accused Kobe Bryant of being a great teammate. No one has ever accused Michael Jordan of being a great friendly teammate. Somebody stop me if I'm wrong. Am I wrong? No, the same thing with Larry Bird, same thing with Magic. They would kill guys. If you're not going to come and be and come they correct. Would kill guys. Yeah. And, and and so his thing was really like he's not like he's a great camaraderie guy. He's a great team guy. It's dinners, it's 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 at my house. I want to invite everybody over, bring your wives. I'm going to bring my wife. Hey, Easter dinner, we're going to do it at our house everywhere. Like he's big on that. Because I think he knows that, like, if I can invite you into this space, then you know that when in a moment, if I yell at you or if I get on you, it's not because it's about me. It's because ultimately it's about us. And shit, I wanted to win a championship. So if he yelled at me about not being in a rotation or about not doing something or and it wasn't just him, he's not the coach, but we could hold each other accountable. I could yell at him. You or you heard me talking about getting in a fight with Kenyon Martin. You think I'd be afraid to say something to, to Braun if, if if he wasn't doing doing what he was supposed to do or if he was being a little bit lazy or if he needed to step up? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that's where there's a level of respect that comes. And, you know, once you're able to accomplish a goal, it's a brotherhood that can never be broken. Um, and so all he wants is to win. So if he's pushing people and you know this winning ain't easy, you have a guy like Russell that's averaged a triple double in three straight years. And it doesn't look like he's going to get out of the, the first round three straight years. Right. So, you know, for us to criticize Braun for going to the finals eight straight years and be like, well, is he a good teammate? And it's like, what the fuck? Like, like, <laughs> what, like, when, 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 like, what is being a good teammate? Like, as long as he's not a bad dude, right? Like, as long as he's not, like, a jerk or, like, as long as he's not that, fine, right? But, like, if he's only about winning, right? If he's only, like, if Braun would have lost three straight years in the first round, do you understand what our conversations would be about him right now? Yep. So if he pushes, if he pushes guys to the brink, and pushes guys to a moment that they're uncomfortable, you want to know who else does that? Greg Popovich. <laughs> Greg Popovich pushes guys to the to the brink to the point where, like, like if media is afraid to ask that man questions, imagine what his team is afraid of. That's awesome, right? Like his team, like imagine what his team is afraid of, right? Like if you miss a rotation. You think that man misses anything? If you make three defensive mistakes in the first half of a playoff game, he's going to lose it on you. 
great, and that's not for everybody. So playing for Popovich is not for everyone. Playing with Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or Larry Bird or LeBron James isn't for everyone. But you want to know what isn't for everyone? Winning championships, winning MVPs, going to all-star games. That's not for everyone. So I don't think that we should separate and say, well, is he good? Is he nice? Is he friendly? Right? Like, no, this is not about friendships. This is about winning. This is about money. This is about changing your life. This is about changing your legacy. And so as long as we keep that in perspective, you know, whatever that man needs to do, he's got to do. Was Pop your favorite coach you ever played for? Least favorite word? I mean, you got a long list here. We got Byron. We, we, we got a, we got Pop, a... Pop, Pop was the most challenging coach I've ever played for in my entire life. And, you know, I have tremendous amount of respect for him, not only as a coach, but as a person, as a human being. Um, and I was not, look, I was not great. I was not great there. You know, San Antonio fans, most of them are, are stupid. But I, I, I say it in the sense of like, look, LaMarcus Aldridge struggled when he first got there right? DeMar DeRozan has, has struggled a little bit in this first year. I struggled when I, when I got there. And a lot of it is because if you had success other places and then you go there, Pop is like, well, that's fine that you were able to do that, but this is how I want you to play. And, and guys like DeMar or LaMarcus are like, yo, but I was all NBA doing it this way. Or I was, you know, uh, you know second in the NBA and scoring it doing it that way. And Pop's like, yeah, that's fine, but that's not going to really work here for us. This is how I want you to play. This is how I want to do that. And for guys that are already established, it becomes very, very difficult. You don't see many guys come in and just crush through the San Antonio system because not many people have ever experienced what it's like to be there. I think it's more about guys learning how to adjust. And, you know, that's something that is very, very difficult for guys, especially after you've been in the league for seven years, eight years, nine years, right, to, to go and have a coach that holds you accountable on every single possession and every single play, right? Like, that, like the San Antonio Spurs are not happy with just a 50-win season. They are not happy with just making it to the postseason. Greg Popovich handles the second game of the year the same way he does the NBA Finals. There is no intensity change. And that right there lets you know how fun and difficult and how it's a great place to be, but it, it, it can be trying. The film is Sprinter, executive produced by Will and Jada Smith and Richard Jefferson. Congratulations Richard. on that. Richard, really, Rich, really appreciated the conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you to my man, Richard Jefferson, as we move into the news of the weekend and on the mark. My man, Ethan Blumenthal, is here as we got to talk about the 154th running, 145th running of the Kentucky Derby. The first 144, what I'm trying to say here, is there was no problem, no faults, no issues, but 145 didn't go that way, unfortunately. And uh, personally, I, I, uh, I got no issue with what went on on the track. I would not have defaulted a horse uh, but Ethan is here to to help me as I thought a horse was being a horse was being a horse. Uh, maximum effort uh, was 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 providing maximum security. Was was uh, my maximum security was providing maximum effort. Maximum security was my guy, my horse. But uh, you know, I mean, apparently just did something wrong. Country House took it. So Ethan, uh, I know you're a horse uh, racing expert. So thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. Happy to be here. I am a horse racing expert. Uh, I've seen the Simpsons episode where Homer gets a horse a bunch of times. You know, they go to the jockey town and they sing this weird jockey song. And then, of course, I've seen Seabiscuit probably like one to one and a, one and three quarters, 
uh, of a time, and it's uh, I feel like that makes me an expert. I watched the Kentucky Derby, and I agree. I didn't love it. I didn't love it. You know, it's hard to uh, it's hard to do that. It's hard to hard to take that away from a horse. Well, well, hold on a second here, because let's have a moment in time here of just loving Sea Biscuit, because it's you true. Know, it, it doesn't get credit for being one of the great sports movies of all time. And I don't know about you, but you bring up Sea Biscuit. A tear comes to my eye. I want to. I can see that tear in your eye. Yeah, I mean, I want to leave the podcast right now and go watch a Sea Biscuit. Great story from beginning to end. Toby Maguire, solid actor. The horse probably also didn't get enough credit in that. And I don't know the exact horse, the actor's name of the horse, but did a great job. Come on, Biscuit. The way Biscuit was able to come through in the end, and then the injuries and the up and down, the roller coaster of life all playing out right in front of you in, a, in two hours. What I, mean, I would say on. to all the listeners listening at home right now, pause the podcast. You should definitely come back to the podcast and pause it. Watch Sea Biscuit real fast. Quick, right. What is it? Quick hour and 55 minutes? Sure. About two hours. Get some running time. Get some, you know, then come back here, finish the rest of the podcast, and then they'll have a better idea of what we're feeling right now as we're re- reminiscing about watching Sea Biscuit. And if you do uh, enjoy the podcast, want to watch Seabiscuit together, you can email me, mark.carman at gmail, mark with a K, C-A-R-M-A-N. Whether you're in Chicago where I live or in a, in a foreign land, I will make this work. We can meet halfway, or if i got to come all the way to you, Ethan, I know you'll join along. Absolutely, I'm we'll, there. We'll, 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 we'll do a Seabiscuit together. Let's go. Absolutely. So now, after the race, right, a lot of things are, are turning hands here, and... It's a it's a huge thing for the horse, right? So twenty minutes after the horse wins, maximum security wins, then he gets disqualified. Now, what that does to this horse is not just that he loses this race, right? He loses the rest of his life. Had he won the Kentucky Derby, his sperm, frozen or otherwise, is now worth hundreds and millions of dollars, right? And he could have been put out to stud and making millions of dollars and, you know, having, you know, sex with other beautiful horses on, you know, Kentucky bluegrass, right? Right. But now He's not the Kentucky Derby champion. His semen goes down 50% in value. And what does that do to a horse's... I mean, what does that do to you? I totally... I, I, I feel you. I'm glad that we're on the same wavelength here. The same horse length. Horse hey, length? Yeah. yeah. So, right. Maximum security, providing maximum effort, and trying to provide some security and create great horses. And here's a guy, a horse, if you will, who had his dream right in front of you. He knew that beautiful horse after beautiful horse was going to be provided for him on a daily basis, and he was going to come in there, do his thing, live that dream. That's a hell of a dream right there. And to have it ripped away from you just like that by some instant replay, I mean, I I am worried about that horse's well-being. It's and, it's a and, shame. It's a shame to do that because you, you cross the finish line. The fans are cheering. You're cheering. Your jockey is cheering. They cheer however jockeys cheer, right? And then and then it just gets just snatched away from you. Right. I mean, he was gonna have the best of the best, one a day, no real commitment. I mean, that's something that we're all dreaming about, right? He was going to live the dream. You weren't. There was going to be no feelings. They were just going to line up for him, mm-hmm. and he would get back to you know, go and have an apple, have a carrot, eat some hay. And now he's just eating apple, hair, you know, carrot, hay, and, and, and nothing. I, I, I hear you. Now, let me ask you to throw out a quick question for you. Do you have any idea when a horse like that gets put out to stud, how much do you think the, uh, the other horse's owners pay for one night with, with a Kentucky Derby champion? 
It's got to be some good dough right there. I mean, I I, I want to say like 50G a shot. 50G? I mean, that's that wouldn't be bad, right, for me and you. But for a Kentucky Derby champion, it could be anywhere in the range of 300,000. Three One night. 300 a shot. They don't have to, no dinner in a movie, no pampering. You just, you go straight to it. So not only are you getting the, uh, the creme de la creme, the filet mm-hmm. mignon, the banana cream pie, you get 300K to eat that banana cream pie. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. amazing. It's, it's, a, it's a good life. On the flip side, though, Country House, now he's going to be doing that. Right. Now he's living the life forever. But see, Country House was coming in at like a 65 to 1 shot. He wasn't even thinking about banana cream pie. He had no What thought. kind of pie do you think he was thinking uh, about? I mean, I, I think that dude was all about like, just give me a graham cracker. Graham but, cracker. You okay. know? Like maybe I'll get a little little treat here. Maybe I can have a, a cheese and cracker. Maybe I get a little Munster, ch- not even, but not even right. a good cheddar. Not even like, the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Like the, you know, the, 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 the $2.50 mm. Munster chunk. Not that the, good stuff that you can get at Mariano's where it just really feels like it's fresh and someone really made it for you. No, see, I was yeah. going Mariano's. Oh, I, you were thinking, you know, I think I have a big cheese selection. Yeah, well, yeah, but I'm talking <laughs> okay. about like the like the the, the rogue Italian mm. uh, local. Okay. Uh, you know, you get your meats right. there. You get a farmers premium, market. Premium. Talking, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm going talking big farmers time. market. I mean, okay. Mario, Mariano's okay, Maybe, but you know, I, I was shots I was the, fired. Shots fired from Carmen right here yeah. about Mariano's. But. I mean, it's it's okay, but I'm not gonna. I don't get it. Mar, you're not. You didn't even go Whole Foods. Like, I mean, give them a, give 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 Country House a Whole Foods whole paycheck I mean, one time. <laughs> I, I, you just went straight bottom of the barrel Mariano's. You're right. replacing Dominic's Mariano's. Right. Okay, well, easy there, right? <laughs> easy there. So let's get back on track here. Yeah. Uh, get back to these horses. Get back to the technicality. So here's a yeah. question for you: Is is replay ruining sports? It certainly, it certainly ruined Maximum Security's day. That's for sure. Uh, I used to be a huge replay advocate. You want to get it right. And they have done such poor justice to using any level of thought that I am now completely anti-replay. They've 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 ruined it in basketball. Defender reaches in, tips the ball out of bounds, slow it down. Oh, it hit the outside of his fingertip. Uh, turnover on the offense. That is full on BS. And now we're taking it to horse racing. Dude, that horse was being a horse. He was running. He was running for his life. I mean, come on. Horses being a horse. Couldn't agree more with that. And the other thing about it is that, do you think? Now, here's kind of take it to another level of this horse racing. He so he kind of merged out of his lane for a second. That's what people. That's what the DQ came from. I'm a horse ho- expert, so I know. Okay, let me. I'm telling you. Okay. Right? So he moved out of his lane a little bit, and I'm thinking, do you think? that he moved out of his lane because he was rebelling against his owners for giving him kind of a dumb fucking name. Ooh. You don't like maximum security? I mean, do you like it? I, I don't I don't really have a problem with maximum security. I, I think if somebody would call me, yo, Carm, we want to re-nickname you, we're going to call you maximum security, I would take that as a huge compliment. I think maybe for you that would be, but for a, for a horse, though, I don't know. I just think it could have done better. Be, you want to be like wild and free? Mm-hmm. So actually, if you don't mind, I have a, I have a little horse game, a name game we could play. Okay, okay. So Kentucky Derby, 145 years in running, right? Yeah. So a lot of lot of horse names running around there. Okay. So I'm gonna play a little game with you. All right. I was this an actual horse name from a Kentucky Derby in the past 145 years, or did I make this name up? Okay. You ready? I don't think I like my chances on this, but yes, I'll, I give, like it, it. I'll, okay. give, I'll give it a run. Number one, number one. Your fly is down. Your fly is down. 
Seems real to me. Seems real? Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's incorrect. That's I made, made that one up. Made that one up. <laughs> but I appreciate that, though. And I like that, that you said it with confidence because it made me it made me think that you really knew. Uh, I, I mean, I was there on yeah. your fly is down. I can't yeah. believe that hasn't been used. But yeah. okay, I'm over right, one. Number, over one. Number two. Boom goes the dynamite. Boom goes the dynamite's got to be legit. I don't. I, the first, first, have you ever seen that YouTube video? Boom goes dynamite. No. So that's something I know our listeners have, have heard that one. It's one of the greatest YouTubes of all time. It's in the YouTube Hall of Fame. I'm gonna send it to you. You're okay. gonna watch it. It's this sportscaster from Ball State. You're gonna love it. Trust me. That's coming for you. It's gonna be great. Uh, but boom goes dynamite. Not a real horse name. Oh for two. Oh for two. Not doing great. I can't believe you just came out of the gate on a, on a double. Not yeah. on a double negative. Now I'm in real trouble. Because I, right. I mean I gotta say yes, but maybe you're maybe you're going triple. Okay, go ahead. All right. Uh, next one, Kareem Abdul Jabuthole. Kareem Abdul Jabuthole <laughs> can't be real. That one is also un- not not real. All Correct. right. Yes, yes, you're good. You're good. <laughs> right. So now you're one for three. You're batting one for three. You're batting three thirty three. You're in the Hall of Fame right now. So you're doing not so bad. All right. <laughs> Kareem Abdul Jabut Hall is amazing though. That's a good horse. It is a good horse. He would be a good horse. And someone's gonna listen to this podcast, and in two years they're gonna name their horse Kareem Abdul Jabut Hall, and we're gonna be talking about it in three years. Kentucky Derby champion Kareem Abdul Jabut Hall. I mean, if 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 you were if that dude's coming down the home stretch and he's winning, it would just be Jabut Hall. Jabut Hall. Exactly. Exactly. And that's you know that's that's the broadcaster's dream right there. It, it totally is. All right, number four. We got two left here. Number okay. four. Crouching tiger hidden horse manure. <laughs> Crouching tiger hidden horse manure can't be real. <laughs> I'm gonna, it can't be real. It is not real. Are you a fan of the of the movie Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon? Never saw that one either. You know, I don't know if I've ever seen it either, but I think it's a great for for comedic names though. Crouching tiger hidden horse manure. Yeah. You know that makes me think about the worst job in all of sports, which uh, not really sports because it's more of the circus, but it's the dude. At the circus mm. that runs after the elephants when they go out there, and, and if the elephant has a situation, mm-hmm. he is there with the shovel to catch the boulder coming out in action. Have you ever seen Wait, that? He's, no, to, he's trying to catch it before it hits the ground. Before it hits the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he learns something new every day. I mean, he'll take it off the ground, but his goal <laughs> is to get it before it hits. I've seen it done. It's amazing. Do you, think, do you think people grow up thinking, man, they go to the circus and they, they say, man, I want to be that guy? I mean... Or, or girl. Hey, I, I don't want to discriminate here. It's 2019. I, I don't... Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I don't think that anyone's ever wanted to be that person except for me. Like, <laughs> I, I think that's a cool gig. I mean, I, I like it. You take a lot of pride in it, you know, to n- have it never hit the ground. It's got to uh, be a pretty big shovel, I'm going to catch that shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that shit is mine. What uh, If you're trying to apply for another job, right, after that one, yeah. what do you say about that one on your resume? I mean, I a would... a little description of I, what that job was. I would say... What do you think uh, it's called? Uh, the title, specific title of that job. I would say the title is uh, Elephant Maintenance uh, Technician, and I think... <laughs> and I think that, it's good, it's good. And I, I think that... Uh, uh, what I what what would, how I would present it? is that the yeah question? yeah how would you present it you're I'm interviewing you for another I, job I, let's I, say in finance and and this was your your most previous uh, job and I want to know what pro- that really meant to you provided security for twenty thousand in attendance uh, with uh, under uh, intense scrutiny as part of uh, the the legendary uh, most uh, prominent traveling show in the history. Of uh, American society, that was on the spot. That was well done. I mean, y- y- your job is yours, my friend. Thank, thank you so much. I yeah. appreciate it. The the last one, last one of my horse name game here. Number five, was it was it real or not? Secretariat. 
Secretariat, I believe, is a real horse. Very good. Ding, ding, ding. You know what? You, you, you started off slow, but then you came on strong at the end, going two out of your last three. You're on a hot streak, man. Uh, I, I got to tell you, uh, for the record, I got the last three right. Three for five. Yeah. Not terrible. That's uh, true. Secretariat. It, 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 I haven't thought about it this way until this moment, but that's the worst name ever for a horse. Secretariat. Really? Sounds like a secretary. Like, why would you want, why would you want that name? How the hell did he get Secretariat? And how the hell was he, was, was he that successful? She, I, I should say, right? It's a filly? I think so. Yeah, yeah I sure. I don't know. That's I terrible. wasn't a horse racing expert back then. Back then. You oh, know what right. I am now. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but Secretariat, uh, I think... I mean, I think maybe it's because it sounds cool to me now because everyone knows, like, the legend of Secretariat. Ah, okay. You know? Okay, the legend of Secretariat. Yeah. I got it. Okay. Right. So you finished off the game three or five. Pretty good. Thank you're going you. to the Hall of Fame. I respect that. So uh, moving on to some other horse racing topics. So for me, you know, whenever I watch a basketball game, I want to go play basketball. When I watch a sword fighting movie, I want to go, you know, learn how to sword fight, right? Sure. Taekwondo, I watch whatever. You want to start hitting people with taekwondo moves, right? So when I watched horse racing, I thought to myself, well, I can't be a horse because that's just unrealistic. But maybe it's not too late for me to become a jockey, right? But here's what I found out when I okay. go down to this Wikipedia jockey rabbit hole is that jockeys, and it's like rules, like they have to be between four foot ten and five six. And I think in this, specifically in this Kentucky Derby, they have to be with equipment on 108 to 118 pounds. Yeah, that's not you, Doug. No, it's not me. And what I was kind of thinking about this was my parents really screwed me with my genetics because I'm I stand at a tall five ten, as you can see. You're feel huge. Like huge, a huge five ten. And actually when I go to the doctor, it's like five nine and three quarters, but I give her like five dollars and tell me to write down five ten. It's interesting that we're the exact same five <laughs> nine <laughs> yeah. and three quarters. Yeah. Idiot. Exactly. So I'm too short to be a basketball player. Yep. And now I find out, and just a, it, yesterday was a terrible day when I found this out, that I'm too tall to be a jockey. Like, way too tall. Yeah, so no. I'm right in this middle ground where nothing good can happen. Right. You have nothing going for you. Right. I, I can relate. It's I'm the same guy. Although I, I will say I got this uh, arthritic <laughs> toe going on. So I had to buy these shoes, these um, hokas that have an enormous amount of cushion, and I've got <laughs> orthotics in here, so I feel taller than I've ever felt before. I you can't, do. I, I can't walk without pain. Those but I'm taller. I say this with respect. We're friends, but those are the oldest man shoes I've ever seen in my entire life. My grandfather is 97 years old. He'd look at those shoes and say, "I'm not walking around in those, man. I look yeah. like an idiot." No, it's 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 embarrassing. <laughs> and I, I wore these today, you know, out and about. I they're they're red laces and the. I mean, I look terrible. I look absolutely, ter- but I but I feel taller. But so if you I, own, I like your socks though. A good good blue socks. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I think. But, uh, yeah, I just want to say that uh, I feel this, the pain once again. The pain of being. I, I'd love to be a jockey, but yeah, it's, I can't do it. We're we're both out. So congrats to those guys. Congrats to them. And I do think though that you know what do you think it takes to be a jockey? I mean, what do you what do you think the hard work goes into it? Or or how do you like grow up and say, I want to be a jockey? Similar to how do you want to be a, an elephant technician? Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, if I had to gander or guess, I mean, you you had to have been born around the track, right? And you had to have, have seen people of your ilk, and then you just realize that there's so many things in life that are not available for you, and this is your ticket to to uh, to prominence, and 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 you love horses, mm-hmm. and you like bounding up and down. Uh, yeah, that's how I think that happens. Right. That was a real answer. By the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. I wonder, you know, it's like in Canada, right? A lot of people in Canada disproportionately they become hockey players, right? It's sure. a huge place. I wonder if there's a place 
in the U.S. Maybe it is in Kentucky, some small town where it's like this is where all the jockeys come from. I didn't do enough. I didn't do that research. Yeah, no. We can I, make some guesses though. I, right. I, I mean, I'm thinking back and just in the day of because we started out this podcast with Sea Biscuit mm-hmm. and 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 that whole community that was going on. So maybe that community is still traveling around the U.S. Maybe even the world at this point, and 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 we just have to go out and find it. Do you think that not obviously we just discussed we're too too big to be jockeys. But do you think that we could just fit in personality wise? You know, if we went to the local jockey bar, no. we'd get in there and they would be like, Hey, they they're cool enough. You know, they're they're honorary jockeys, even though they're obviously much larger than us. Yeah, I I don't think that they would like me at all. They would they they would look at me like I was a complete and utter waste of, of of human flesh is that because of your shoes or for other reasons well i, I just think of the all all of it they look like you're just this standard size guy you have nothing going on you're not that interesting you don't ride horses you probably know nothing about what we do and they wouldn't want to talk to me at all that's how i see it going down have you ever ridden a horse did did ride a horse back in the day camp kawamba we would we would you know fridays were horse day you'd, you'd go to the barn you'd, you'd walk around the barn and then they give you a donut which they called a donut. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> why. You a donut or a horse? The donut. No, we, we we got the kids got the donut. The horse. Uh, I don't remember what we did for the horse. Probably not much. It was a, you know one of those pompous camps that uh, you just felt like you could do whatever you wanted because you were you know you were born into you know the North Shore of Chicago where privilege was was the norm. Understood. Understood. Well, I obviously have suffered had a hard childhood because I've never ridden a horse before. Oof. Yeah, no, that's. I'm sorry. Is uh, it? It's was it? Is it cool? Uh, I feel like it hurts. I, Isn't that uncomfortable? No, I, 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 I've ridden a bike before. Is that the same thing? I, riding a horse is not an easy thing. I, mm-hmm. I, I rode a horse in Mexico to a thing. Now thinking about it, mm-hmm. up, up a mountain. Um, I, I, I think that riding a horse is terrifying. You just because at one moment this horse is going to get pissed, and then all of a sudden it's going to take you on a ride. And what are you going to do? I mean, you're, I, that's, and you're up there, right? You're probably like you're up in the air a little bit. Like it's a, you fall off a horse that you probably break something. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think it's a beautiful animal. But I'm always worried that it's going to either A, kick me in the head, B, bite my hand off, or C, just take me for a ride somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I love looking at them, like, uh, you know, with... with on, uh, on TV, yeah, in the or, Kentucky Derby. Or even, like, if I go out to the track, that like, there they are mm-hmm. walking around. That that makes that warms the cockles of my heart. Here's here's another thing about the Kentucky Derby. Have you... Do you ever remember in history the Kentucky Derby not being on a rainy day? I feel like it is always raining. Is that... Every, every time it's like, well, it's a sloppy track today, but we got... Nah. You got War of Will on the right, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hole over here. He's slopping around. I think that's uh, actually a window into your soul right now, and these things are just raining right now for you. <laughs> uh, you, you have a great that's smiling deep. demeanor, that's deep. but because I, I don't think that's actually accurate. But I think something's going on here. Maybe we should talk about it, you know, on on podcast to to be coming up here. I, Listen, I, I, that's just how I feel, and I was actually going to suggest that maybe they they do kind of you know in movies, right? They 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 have a studio and they build a studio set right and so maybe that they should do that for the Kentucky Derby so they can control, control the, the environment. control the environment and it's not always raining. I'm telling you, go back and look. Every year it's raining. Every year the announcer is like, "Oh, we got a sloppy track here today, but these horses are giving it their best and the jockeys are dealing with the wetness of the track." That's definitely- that's my def- that's my impression of a of an annou- a, a horse racing announcer. It, it, it was good, and that's definitely not true. <laughs> uh, I think you're 100 percent wrong, but. Uh, I would like to give credit to the horse interviewer, the person who interviews the jockey mm-hmm. after the race, who's riding on the horse, controlling the horse, holding the microphone, keeping her questions, she's a former jockey, mm-hmm. in, in, in mind, being able to reach out the microphone to the other horse and get it all done in the rain. That, to me, 
was an elite performance, and actually she perhaps could you know uh, be somebody that should be considered for higher wages just to be able to do that job in that pressure environment. You know, you're totally right because you look, we all watch all sorts of other sports, basketball, baseball, hockey, right? None of them, they're all just sitting there in a suit, right? They're, they're doing interviews in a suit. They're standing up upright on flat ground. I mean, how, on a horse? I mean, get out of here. I mean, how much money, no, no disrespect, does Doris Burke get for asking two questions to Greg Popovich, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who's going to say nothing uh, and, and be entertaining at doing it, but this person was on a horse. Right. Yeah, and and, and 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 you know you're probably dealing perhaps with a slight language barrier too. A lot going on there because the horse speaks a different language, right? Right. Exactly. Understood. Exactly. Horse. Yeah, I think I would like what I would like to see from now on actually is that anytime someone's interviewing someone in a sport, they have to be playing that sport yeah. while they're interviewing them. You know. Yeah. So if we're we're talking, let's go let's go hardcore skiing. They gonna want to e- interview a skier. They got to be doing it while they're both skiing moguls, moguls down the hill. Yeah, or at least like at the very end, like you come in and you just do like the the, the good solid stop at the <laughs> yeah, end. That's a like, sweet stop. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, cool when that they do done. that. Uh, we got anything left here? Have we hit? Have we hit pay dirt? I think I think we I think we got everything that I wanted to. Yeah. As the expert that I am, I think we went down to all the things that I want to talk about. Okay, because I I I, uh, I got to be honest. Um, I'm very excited right now to just go work on my career as, as, as doing other sports and being that interviewer because that, as you know, we're trying to up, up, uplift ourselves with this podcast, but that could be the move. That's up in the ante right there. Yeah. Good to and, see But, of course, after this, though, we got to go watch Seabiscuit, though. Yeah, that's, that's what we're true. doing that's right true. now. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Everybody should do that. Mm-hmm. Ethan, good to see you. A pleasure as always, my friend. Thank you for listening to On The Mark. Please subscribe and leave a comment. Yes, I would really, really appreciate it. Five-star rating, leave a comment. You are helping me, my career, and others to find this amazing podcast where their life will, of course, be a ton better. Thanks to Richard Jefferson for being on, Ethan Blumenthal, Ashley, and most importantly to you for listening. On The Mark, every Monday afternoon, a new episode coming out. We will see you next week. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.